it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty. And luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. And we're off another episode of In Defense of the Big 12 right here on the Chris Landry Podcast Network. Tyler McComas, I'm in Norman, Oklahoma. Brad Kellner, he is in Austin, Texas. And for the next hour, we're going to be talking exclusively about the Big 12 Conference. We've got a couple team previews coming up as we are just, what, 16 days away from kickoff now in the Big 12 Conference. So much has happened. We we got an AP poll to talk about. We've got practices to talk about. We've got COVID numbers to talk about. But, man, yesterday the sports world was shook once again in 2020 as all three games in the NBA were boycotted. Today's games in the NBA are going to be boycotted as well. The entire playoffs could be boycotted. We'll see what happens today coming out of that. Major League Baseball, there were a few games that did the same. And it now bears the question, since we are 16 days away from kickoff and we do have a college football game coming up this weekend, how does what happened in Kenosha, Wisconsin – affect the college football season and it's a fascinating question to talk about Brad because just when you think that we're out of the woods and you think that for sure we're going to get this thing started on September 12th here's another situation that pops up and um, I, I, I will lead with this is this going to affect games in college football like it has in the NBA and Major League Baseball? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think if there were games, and I know there is one game this Saturday in college football, it's an FCS game between Austin P and Central Arkansas. So I'm curious to see if anything happens there. But if there were games across the Power Five, across FBS college football, would this weekend, would anything happen? Uh, I think 16 days from now, you know, I, I think the games will still be played. Uh, I am curious to see if any practices get canceled today, right? I've seen a couple of NFL teams announce that they are canceling practice today to kind of make a statement as well. And it's interesting, Tyler, you know, with the pandemic going on, I think everybody figured, okay, if anything ends the bubble in the NBA or the NHL, or if anything ends Major League Baseball, or if anything prevents football from happening, either, either at the NFL or the college level, it would probably be COVID-19. And there's obviously still a chance that that could happen. I mean, this yeah. this virus is still very much alive and well, unfortunately. But uh, that might not be the case. That might not be the biggest threat to sports this year. It might be, you know, police brutality and civil unrest and just the systematic racism that's been going on in this country for way, way, way too long at this point. So, yeah, I mean, that was a, a pretty historic, pretty monumental, pretty impactful day across the world of sports yesterday, especially in the NBA. Uh, and, and I'm with you. I mean, we'll see what happens. I think I just saw a Woj bomb from a couple of minutes ago on Twitter saying that most players 
do have the intent of finish, finishing out these NBA playoffs, uh, playing the rest of the postseason. Now, my guess is the games today aren't going to happen, and oh, I wouldn't yeah. be surprised at all if if maybe through the weekend in the NBA, all games are postponed and this thing picks up next week as uh, players try to use their platform to, to send out a message and, and make their message louder and create some much-needed social change uh, in this country. But, uh, you know, I think in terms, going back to your original question, I think because the games are a couple of weeks away, uh, unless another incident like this happens, and unfortunately there's a chance that it does, uh, I think college football is going to begin in this conference on time on September 12th. Uh, We'll see if the teams or if the league makes a statement or decides to do anything uh, the day of those games or maybe leading up to those games. Who knows? But uh, if I had to guess, I I would say Big 12 football would still happen 16 days. By the way, I want to mention this. If you're watching us right now on Twitch, uh, we'd love for you to comment throughout the show. Maybe you've got questions that uh, you want answered. Maybe you've got comments on uh, what's going on with our uh, with our programming stuff that we're talking about. We would love for you to join us in the uh, chat section for sure. I would guess that Saturday's game goes on um, as scheduled. And, and just because of this, Central Arkansas, I'm going to guess, has never been on ESPN before. Um, same thing with Austin P, right? And I mean, if you're looking at it from that aspect, it's like Austin P and Central Arkansas are the only college football game playing. They're going to be on at like prime time on ESPN. And I'm sure that they stand and support all the right things, but it's like, man, this is our only opportunity. Every guy on that team, Brad, this is our only opportunity to play in this type of window. I think that they're going to take advantage of that and not boycott or, or sit out or anything else. I, I think that they're probably still going to play. Yeah, I think the game's going to happen too. I mean, I'll tell you what, though, since it is the first college football game, since it is in prime time and nationally televised on ESPN, uh, if those players who generally don't have as much of a platform as Texas, Oklahoma, and the rest of the schools in this league do, if they want to make a statement, uh, boy, they really could do so this weekend. I'm not necessarily advocating for them not to play, but you know, this would be a, a pretty big opportunity if they did say – you know, we're not playing this weekend because of what went down. Uh, that, that would be, as you mentioned, the biggest platform that they had, and they could maybe uh, pull something off with that. So I'm with you. I think the game is going to happen. Uh, I'm excited for this game. I'm going to watch this game. Normally, I would not watch a game between Austin P and Central Arkansas. I think that probably goes without saying. But And because it is some semblance of college football, I will be tuned in this weekend and I might call up the cousin to uh to put a few bucks on this one too. I'm there not- you go. Oh, there yeah. you go. No wait a long time for this one, man. <laughs> yeah, uh can't wait to watch that purple and gray field at UCA. Oh yeah. Live in action on ESPN. That's gonna be great. So wow, uh big news at OU this week when Lincoln Riley said just a couple of days ago, and he wouldn't mention which position group it is, but he says he had one group essentially wiped out all but one by a COVID test, he said it's a position group that needs multiple guys on the field together. So basically he had an entire position group that was wiped out due to COVID test. Only one guy was um, able to be out in the practice field. That's um, that's big news, man. I mean, we've already yeah. seen North Carolina State and Virginia Tech move their game back from September 12th to September 26th. So this is not just nothing. It, it, it is definitely a big deal. It looks like OU is – going to recover from this and they're still going to play September 12th. But when you see an entire position group, um, that's pretty staggering. 
But the fact that they took this type of hit, Brad, and were still focused and still had the intent on playing in just 16 days, I think overall is a pretty good sign that we are going to start this thing on September 12th. Yeah, I'm with you. And it's been a pretty crazy couple of weeks up there in Norman, right? I mean, it seemed like OU was doing better than any team in this league and maybe any team in college football in terms of handling COVID, right? I mean, for months, that program had zero positive tests. And then Lincoln Riley, you know, calls off practice. He gives the guys a break. Some of them decide to go home. And then you've got nine positive tests. Last weekend, you've got six more this weekend. Then you've got the quote from Lincoln Riley on Tuesday that you just brought up saying that, yeah, one of our position groups is basically completely ransacked due to COVID-19. It's been pretty crazy. But, yeah, the fact that they do plan on continuing practice and obviously getting ready for that first game on September 12th, I think, uh, gives you every indication that uh, they do still plan on playing college football in this league this year. And I'll tell you what, Tyler. I'm not going full uh, BJ Simons on this show. Not going to do anything like that. But uh-huh. it, it is a little interesting to me, you know, two days after a recruiting weekend. And I know it was supposedly unplanned and player-led, and the coaches had no idea about it, even though those recruits had access to the field. And you told me there was a video of OU beating Texas on the Jumbotron at Gaylord Family Memorial Stadium. But even though the coaches had no idea – that was going on at all. Uh, I do find it a little bit odd and weird that two days later, Lincoln Riley's complaining about COVID so much. It's like, ah, you're cool letting a bunch of recruits come to your campus, but you're not cool practicing and you're going to complain about this going on right there. That was uh, that was a little bit interesting. And folks here in Austin, Texas, I can tell you that did uh, not take too kindly to that. Hey, you're not going BJ Simmons. You're going Billy Lucci, dude. All right. Because Billy Lucci said the same thing on Twitter all right, uh, from Texas, yet had no problem with 20 plus recruits and their families on campus over the weekend from all over the country. Oh, no. Oh, I'm yeah. agreeing with Billy Lucci. <laughs> Yikes. Okay. You know what? I retract everything what? I just said. Never mind. I don't mean it. I don't mean it. Yeah. I don't mean it. No, nah, <laughs> you know, it is, it is weird. I mean, it is interesting. And, uh, we, we talked about that recruiting weekend a little bit on Monday. Um, look, it's, it's recruiting in college sports, man. There's always going to be something fishy going on pandemic or not football or not. Uh, it, it wouldn't be college sports without uh, some questionable recruiting tactics going on. So it happened. Obviously I hope all the best for those OU football players. Right. I mean, I hope uh, those dudes who were dealing with it, I saw a report out of Lubbock. Uh, I think yesterday that said 21, Football players within the yeah. Texas Tech program were dealing with COVID-19. I think it was 4.6% uh, of the team was currently dealing with it right now, which is a relatively significant number. I think the, the WHO's recommendation is 5% or more. If you have 5% or more of your of your workforce or of your you know people in your company uh, dealing with COVID, then they recommend to not continue, right? Take off, take off work, take off practice in this case. Texas Tech is bordering that right at 4.6%, but I saw Matt Wells and, and the Red Raiders do continue practicing and uh, and getting ready for their first game as well. So, you know, it's it's better never than any time, but I guess it's better now than once the season starts. And you mentioned what's going on in the ACC, right, delaying a conference game a couple of weeks. I mean, that's why the Big 12 is playing their non-conference games on the 12th and not starting conference play until the 26th. That's why there's a couple of built-in bye weeks during the regular season. That's why the conference championship game date has an or next to it, right? It's December 12th or December 19th, trying to give themselves some leeway, trying to give themselves some flexibility. 
just in case something like this happens during the season, which it uh, probably inevitably will, Tyler. I'm not buying what's going out in Lubbock, by the way. Um, <laughs> are the same symptoms of COVID the same symptoms of Raider rash? Maybe this is just Raider rash out there. <laughs> Come on, man. Dude. You know they'll still play with that going around. <laughs> I, oh, I, I think that for sure they've played with Raider rash out there before. They probably have to, man. Come on. Yeah, yeah, too much. Uh, they're way more than 5% of the team has had that at once. Is that what you're saying? No, yeah. Oh, I think statistically that would it would back that up. Yeah. Normally with the Raider Rash numbers out there in uh in Lubbock are for sure. Oh my gosh. Um, so yeah, I mean we, we talked about OU's position group. It was the defensive line that got um really hurt by COVID numbers. OU fans were pissed. And when I mean pissed, I mean pissed. When it came out Monday that no tailgating is going to be permitted on campus this year. I, I don't know if they've made that final call at UT or not and what the reaction has been. But, oh, my. If it hasn't, expect a really, really mad fan base once that comes out. Just I've learned this from experience. How about that? Yeah, I haven't heard anything regarding the University of Texas and what the plans are in terms of tailgating. Uh, a lot of the tailgating happens off campus. Here in Austin, the, the vast majority of huh. tailgating for non-students happens off campus at UT. So that might be a city of Austin mandate, right? Uh, what they decide to do in terms of that. But uh, yeah, no, nothing official, I don't think, from the University of Texas. I mean, we've talked about the, the in-stadium capacity. 25% seems to be pretty uniform across this league at this point. But uh, no, it doesn't shock me. Too much. I think Oklahoma State made the decision a couple of weeks ago, so OU went yeah. to, to the party uh, in the state of Oklahoma. But yeah, I mean, I figured people were going to be pissed about that, right? You won't let me in the stadium now. You won't let me outside of the stadium. You know what's what's going on here? But I mean, it's it's the right move. As much as it sucks, as much as all of this sucks, like you you can't uh, you know the liability. I don't think is as much for fans as it is for players in terms of catching COVID-19 on campus, but you still don't want that happening on your campus. So I, I totally get the move from OU. We're going to preview both West Virginia and Kansas State at the uh, back end of the podcast today. I uh, do want to remind you, though, for a look at the game of football from a coaching, scouting, and administrative perspective, go check out LandryFootball.com. From high school, college, to the NFL, from recruiting to the NFL draft, to free agency, from pregame to postgame film analysis, to all the inside scoop on players, teams, coaches, and schemes, LandryFootball.com is your source for uh, all things football. I, I assure you, if you are a football junkie, LandryFootball.com is, is where you need to go because he's going to have information, all the information that you need on uh, every single school that's out there, and I, and I guarantee you, your favorite Big 12 team as well. Um, so training camp is essentially over for uh, every team in the conference. Let's start with Texas. I guess what's the big news that came out of training camp? Bijan Robinson, of course, is expected to play a huge role in the running backs room. Is he necessarily, though, right now the best running back on campus? No, and it's not Keontae Ingram either, Tyler. Keontae Ingram was the starter last year, the leading rusher for the Longhorns in 2019. Uh, he's the guy with the most experience going into his junior year here on the 40 Acres. Uh, by all indications, at least going into this offseason, he was going to be the number one running back for the Horns going into the 2020 season, but Texas had its second and final fall scrimmage of the year this past weekend, this past Saturday, and it was Roshan Johnson who was the most impressive. He's been turning a bunch of heads, right? The guy who was recruited as a quarterback 
part of the class of 2019. And because Texas had so many injuries going into last season in that running back room, uh, Rojo had to switch. He had to switch positions two weeks before the season opener against Louisiana Tech. And it was thought to be a temporary bit, right? Hey, you know, once we get our running backs back, you're going to switch back to quarterback and get in that room. But, man, he just played really well. He looked like a natural there. And, you know, Texas feels really good at quarterback now with Sam Helliger, and they feel really good at quarterback for the future with, you know, Casey Thompson, Hudson Card, and Jaquindon Jackson in that room right now that Rojo just kind of stayed with the running backs. And he was the second leading rusher for Texas last year, averaged more than five yards a carry a season ago. And he's been able to focus. I know it hasn't been a normal offseason by any stretch this year, but this is the first offseason where he's been able to focus on actually being a running back, like knowing that he was going to play that position. And by all indications, he has been the most impressive guy in the backfield for Texas. So, you know, maybe Keontae Ingram still gets the first carry against UTEP, which would technically make him the starter. But, man, I think Rojo's got a chance to uh, to steal some of the carries as the year goes on. And, and I think all three of those guys, right, you brought up B. John Robinson, the number one running back recruit in the country, according to some sites, right? Some sites would say Zach Evans, who's at TCU right now, is the number one guy. But a five-star kid out of the state of Arizona, uh, he's going to get some run too. There's no doubt about that. So, you know, Texas has sort of a three-headed monster back there. And, and Tom Herman's got uh, his choice, his pick of the litter with weapons in that running back room. I am curious to see what the carries look like back there. But as of right now, it kind of feels like Rojo has been the most impressive of that bunch. So that's uh, definitely a storyline that's brewing down here in Austin. How confident are you that Texas is going to have the best running game that it's had since what, I guess, Foreman won the Doak Walker? What back? What was that, 2015? 2016. Um, you know, I, I think it's better, right? I, I don't think any of these guys are going to put up 2,000 yards like Deontay Foreman did that year. None of these guys are Doak Walker candidates because, well, I think they're all going to split carries. Uh, but in terms of just overall talent in the running back room, Tyler, you've got to go back to 05, 06. Oh, wow. Since when Texas has had like this many guys who are that good, right? I mean, when the Longhorns had Jamal Charles and Selvin Young and Ramon Taylor, like I'm not saying this group is is that good right now, but this is the best running back room in terms of three guys who can really make a difference that Texas has had in 15 years. And I also saw yesterday this news just dropped uh, Texas did need some depth there at running back because the, their fourth running back, the fourth guy that they have on scholarship at that position is Daniel Young. Uh, he opted out of the season a couple of weeks ago. So Texas only had three guys on, on scholarship. You know, Keontae Ingram's dealt with injuries this offseason and in the past at Texas. Bijan Robinson uh, has been dealing with a little bit of an issue too down here as well. So that was a little bit of a concern, right? Like if one or two of those guys goes down, what are you going to do? Uh, the Longhorns did land Gabriel Watson, who is a grad transfer uh, from Sioux Falls, a D2 program. He was actually the leading rusher in Division II college football in 2018. So he, I don't think he's on the level of the three guys I was just talking about, but they do have some extra depth, a guy with some experience playing college football to come in and provide some depth uh, for that running back room. So they feel uh, they feel pretty good about that spot here in Austin. Um, I haven't heard anything about UT's defense. A brand new staff. Um, of course, Todd Orlando is out at is out at USC. I'll tell you this, by the way, and, and I'm not saying that it wasn't time for a change, but I kind of always liked Todd Orlando. It seemed that he had a blueprint for slowing down OU offenses that maybe other defensive coordinators in the conference didn't. Well, a lot of his blueprint is he had more overall talent on defense. Hmm. I think most defenses did in the Big 12. But 
Todd Orlando, I mean, he never held OU to like under 17 points or anything, but he was always good enough to limit them for like a, a half. And if you can slow down OU yeah. for a half with the crap defenses they've had in the past, you're probably going to win the football game. But a brand new staff, I guess what, uh, Chris Ash is the D.C. now. How has how Texas been coming along on the defensive side of the ball? Yeah, I mean, really outside of two quarters – Todd Orlando did pretty well against Oklahoma, right? The fourth yeah. quarter in the in the regular season in 2018 when Oklahoma came from three touchdowns down to tie it against Texas. Uh, and in the Big 12 championship fourth quarter, too, when Oklahoma pulled away from Texas at Jerry World. Uh, oh, it was time for a change. I mean, this defense was one of the worst in the country last year. Bottom five and pass defense. They gave up more fourth quarter points than anybody Ooh. in college football. Missed more tackles than anybody in power five. They were really, really bad. And I'll tell you what, Tyler, it's it's an unhealthy cycle down here in Austin with defensive coordinators. Like, year one, Chris Ash is going to be really good this year. I don't care that there's a pandemic. It's just recent history tells you that year one for defensive coordinators at UT is really, really good. You go back to Manny Diaz and yeah. Vance Bedford and then to Todd Orlando. Like, year one was far and away their best year uh, so I think Texas, just by that alone, has a really good chance to be a solid, solid defense. Then year two, you kind of see some cracks. And then year three, the guy's fired. I mean, that's how it's been for the last decade plus uh, here at UT. So, yeah, no, I think he's a major upgrade. I think he's going to simplify this defense. Like last year, Texas seemingly had a different base defense every week, which is unhealthy. And guys look like they didn't know what they were supposed to be doing uh, at times last year. It's going to be very simple with Chris Ash. A lot more four down fronts, which I think bodes well for this Texas team that doesn't have a lot of linebacker depth this year and does have a ton of depth on that defensive line. A lot more experience coming back this year with Texas too, which that's obviously going to help, right? The personnel is better this year than it was going into last year, which is going to make life easier for Chris Ash. But now people are pretty excited about him. I mean, I, I don't think Texas is going to have the best defense in this league, right? I think Iowa state's defense will be better. Uh, you know, TCU's defense has the chance to be better, a fully healthy Oklahoma defense would have the chance to be better, and, and maybe they still do, uh, just based on what Alex Grinch did last year. But now uh, Texas's defense will be will be much improved this season, and that's going to help out a ton. Pretty uh, disrespectful by you that you mentioned former Texas defensive coordinators and don't mention head coach and waiting Will Muschamp. So ah uh, yeah, you know he he was clean. He was clean. He was the guy who uh, maybe it's the curse of Will Muschamp uh, is what we need to call it here. Like once he didn't get that coach and waiting job, and he dipped to take the head job at Florida. Uh, maybe that was uh, – he put some sort of hex on on this defense to where no defensive coordinator could ever last for longer than three years. And I'll tell you what, man, if I'm Chris Del Conte, like I, I'm, I'm hiring DCs to two-year contracts. Hell, maybe one-year contracts. Yeah. You got to earn your keep, man. You got you to gotta earn your keep here. We're not giving you a three-year deal because we know uh, you're going to be gone at the end of that anyways. We're sure as hell not giving you four or five years because we're going to have to pay some sort of buyout when we fire you anyways. So that's uh, – Maybe that needs to be changed. I wish we could start our podcast every single week with uh, that YouTube clip of Muschamp, Coach Boom, and he's up there on the whiteboard and he's circling everything at halftime and then he, like, just punches the whiteboard at halftime and then, like, leaves. You've seen that before, right? Sure. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Many a times. Many a times. He did some good things as a D.C. at UT. Uh, head coaching career, not so much for, for Coach Boom as he's so uh, politely yeah. regarded as down here, man. So what about you uh, up there with OU, man? Before we get into some of the other storylines from around the league, we can talk about the AP poll here in a second, uh, which came out right after our show on Monday. But, I mean, 
a ton of storylines in terms of COVID, in terms of yeah. suspensions, in terms of just everything going on. What's uh, what's caught your attention that maybe a lot of people aren't talking about? Out well, and that's the thing. It's just, I mean, Lincoln is so guarded to begin with. I mean, you can't even go to, I mean, forget this year. You're really never able to go to practice and see what's going on. It all has to do with, you know, sources out of practice. But I, I guess the biggest storyline coming out of training camp has to be, well, Who's going to take over for Eddie Brooks? Who's that guy right now? And I think that there's really three guys in contention for that spot. You've got TJ Pledger, who I think on 247 Sports, he was the number one overall rated player coming out of high school. But, you know, he, he just hasn't been able to figure into the top two in the running back room yet. And if that happens, it's going to be this year. But I think that he's more of a – he looks just more of like a third down back, right? He's a third down guy that can get out of the backfield – you can throw in the ball. He's a short jitterbug type of running back. I just don't see him as an every down back. So to me, it's either going to be redshirt freshman Marcus Major from up here in Millwood, Oklahoma, who really impressed last offseason, or it's going to be the true freshman Seth McGowan, who arrived on campus and did not look true at all. If I had to bet, I would probably bet on – Seth McGowan being that dude, followed by Marcus Major and TJ Pledger being the third guy in that room. But I think it's very similar to what Texas is going through right now. It's almost like they're going to go with, at least initially, the guys or guys who have been on campus longer. But as you know, like the running back room changes more than any other position on the team. Like I think like TJ Pledger and Marcus Major might get the first carry of the year. But in no way does that signify to me that they're going to be the bell cow running back moving forward. I honestly think by, you know, your fourth game of the season, you could have a true freshman like Seth McGowan take over full time and it becomes pretty evident like, hey, that's their guy. But the thing with Lincoln and running backs is you think you have figured out what their road to three. Um, Tracer will get zero carries in the Texas game. Rodney Anderson becomes the leading ball carrier all of a sudden when it was totally. So it, it really is a week-to-week type of ordeal with Lincoln and running backs. So I think it's very possible that OU is going to have four leading rushers this year, including Spencer Rattler. Four leading rusher in the 10, 11, 12 football games that they play. But, yeah, just not a whole lot out of yeah. training camp this year because there's so many other storylines. But, yeah, the biggest one was, you know, what's going on at running back with that hole that you have to fill now. Well, I feel like uh, OU is going to find at least one really, really yeah, good they running will. back. They always do. I mean, Rodney Anderson kind of came out of nowhere, right? Just yep. It seems like every year, even if there are questions going into the season with Oklahoma in their backfield, they get at least one of those guys to step up. And I guess that shouldn't surprise us too much with how good their offensive line is every year, number one. And also, I mean, we're talking about four- and five-star kids for the most part coming in. It's not like they're bringing in uh, some scrubs out of high school who have no talent at all. Now, these guys are really, really talented kids, and uh, they generally find a way to get it done. It's just crazy to think how much the running back room at OU has changed uh, over the last 365 days. I mean, hell, less mm-hmm. than that, right, since the start of the offseason. I mean, going into this year, going into this offseason, you figured, all right, Trey Sermon and Kennedy Brooks and Ramon Jerry Stevenson for 12 games. Oh, dude, we're loaded. We're going to be fine. Like, how are we going to keep all these guys happy? There's not enough carries to go around with all this talent, plus major, plus pleasure. Like, damn, it was an embarrassment of riches at Oklahoma. 
and you lose your top three guys, obviously two of them for good, and then Ramondre Stevenson for you know part of the season. Still no word on those suspensions, by the way, Tyler, in terms of whether or not they're going to get reduced because of the reduced schedule this year. I mean, are we still expecting five games for for Stevenson and, and Bridges and, and Perkins? As of right now, I mean, yeah, I, in, until I hear otherwise, and I haven't heard otherwise for nine months now, I guess. So my answer to that would be yes. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's different. It's totally different. But OU's running game is is going to be really, really good. And I mean, the scheme, the counter trace scheme that is so ridiculously tough to defend. And it's kind of basic, but it seems like it's not considering how well it works for Oklahoma year in and year out under Lincoln Riley. They're going to find a guy or two to uh, to step up. So I don't think Sooner fans should be too worried about that. Yeah, I agree with that. Hey, again, uh, we would love for you to comment inside the chat section. Thank yeah. you for joining us. And, uh, hey, please help spread the word. You can catch us on the Chris Landry Twitch channel at twitch.tv backslash Chris Landry football. And you can listen to this podcast on your mobile device by signing up for Landry Football's Conference Call wherever you get your podcast. That's Landry Football's Conference Call wherever you get your uh, podcast. Hey, and shout out to uh, your guy, Teddy Lehman, man, for giving us the retweet. Spread oh, the word. We appreciate that. Good dude up at uh, Sports Talk 1400 with you and Norman. That's awesome yeah. stuff, man. Yeah. Uh, a little quick recruiting news, by the way. Kamar Wheaton, five-star running back out of the state of Texas. It was supposed to be a top two um, earlier this week, but he ended up releasing a top three. Alabama was in there. Oklahoma was in there. LSU was in there. Texas was not in there. Texas does not make Kamar Wheaton's final three. Um, kind of does seem like OU has been leading him for the past month or so. Um, any surprise that Kamar Wheaton didn't include UT in his uh, what was going to be a top two, but it ended up being a top three? No, because I think Texas is focused on one of the other top running backs in the state. That is LJ Johnson, another four to five star kid who all all signs. I mean, it feels like it's a Texas versus AM battle right now. I think Texas has taken a a recent lead in this recruiting battle for for LJ Johnson. But yeah, I think the Longhorns have sort of dedicated more of their time and energy towards that guy. So I totally get it for Kamar Wheaton, right? I mean, I you know, guys. I, I totally understand, right? You're a high four-star kid. You don't want to go in the same class with another four or five-star. You want to be the bell cow of whatever position that you're in. Uh, we saw that at Texas with Quinn Ewers, right? When Quinn Ewers yeah. committed for 2022, Jalen Milrow, really, really highly touted quarterback for 2021. He decommits and flips his commitment to Alabama. Like, that just happened. So if Texas gets LJ Johnson, uh, I mean, obviously you would love to get them all, and you would definitely love to keep them away from your biggest rival. There's no question about that, but – if Texas gets L.J. Johnson, then I don't think there will be too many uh, hurt feelings about Kamar Wheaton going somewhere else. Yeah. All right, let's get into our uh, team two-team previews. Uh, la- or On Monday, I guess, we previewed both Texas Tech and Kansas. Now let's go to West Virginia and K-State. We'll start off with West Virginia. Altered schedule like everybody else. They were supposed to kick things off September 5th against Florida State in Atlanta, but obviously that's not going to happen. Well, who do they play? I think Eastern Kentucky now for their non-conference game. And, um, you know, West Virginia has really had some pesky football teams in the past. They've certainly had some good offenses. But, um, man, I'm just not overly optimistic about West Virginia this year. And I think it's going to take some time for them. It's going to take Neil Brown some time to reload that roster to where it was at the end of the 2018 season when they had a chance to play for a Big 12 championship championship. 
Mm-hmm. Five and seven last year, and they got a couple nice wins out of nowhere. I mean, NC State, they they handled them in Morgantown. They won in Manhattan, Kansas. They won in Fort Worth last game of the year. Um, but their offensive numbers, Brad, last year were just were really bad. I mean, we're talking about a West Virginia team, a West Virginia team that's used to scoring seemingly like 45 points a game, 119th nationally in total offense, 128th yeah. in rushing offense. This was just not a good offense a year ago, man. No, it was a tough first year for Neil Brown, who I think is a really, really good coach. Uh, Dana Holgerson didn't leave him a whole lot, right? Uh, recruiting had kind of tapered off a little bit in Morgantown, and also they just had a ton of seniors last year. I mean, they should have been in the Big 12 championship game two years ago. They choked against Oklahoma State which allowed Texas the opportunity to uh, to get in. Yeah, I mean, we'll, uh, we'll see what happens. Like Austin Kendall, I mean, I, I, I figured he'd be a little bit better than he was, the transfer from Oklahoma. I just kind of figured, all right, anybody who who learns from Lincoln Riley. I mean, I know he wasn't good enough to ever win the job in Norman, but he was going against Heisman winner, Baker Mayfield, yeah. uh, Heisman winner, Kyler Murray, uh, and then Heisman runner-up, Jalen Hurts. Like, I, I figured, all right. You know, maybe he's not that good, but he must be decent. Anyone who's a four-star recruit who learns from that dude has to be all right. He was terrible last year. Yeah. He really, really was horrible last year. There is uh, there is no way around it. I think Jarrett Dagey's the guy for West Virginia at quarterback. He kind of took over late last year, was way more impressive. So I think he gives them a much better chance to win. They've got some weapons. Really like T.J. Simmons. Really like Sam James on the outside at wide receiver. Lenny Brown is back at running back. Uh, they've got uh, they've got eight returning starters on offense, so that offense t- should take a step this year. I mean, they're not going to be Geno Smith, uh, they're not Tavon Austin, they're not going to be Pat White, Steve Slayton type of offense, anything like that. But they should be a little bit better this year. The Stills brothers on the defensive line are really really good. good. I mean, Darius especially, that guy's a Sunday player. He's one of the best pass rushers in all of college football. Extremely extremely talented. And you look at Neil Brown, what he did at Troy. I mean, obviously West Virginia is a step up, and this league is a step up. But I think uh, he was four and eight his first season, and then won double digit games his next two years at Troy. So you know, I, West Virginia is not going to be close to that this year. But maybe that means some things will change for the better in year two. So yeah, I mean, probably around five hundred for the Mountaineers this year. Oh, maybe they can get to five and five, maybe six and four if things go right. But it's going to be tough sledding. I mean, they have to go to Stillwater. They've got to go to Austin. They've got to go to Ames this year. And then, I mean, Oklahoma, obviously, they've got to play. That game is in Morgantown. But, uh, you know, that's even with the 100% full capacity crowd, that would be a tough one for West Virginia to win. I don't think uh, they've got much of a chance with uh, with a smaller crowd without that hectic home field atmosphere up at uh, up at Mountaineer Field. So, at Milan Pusker. Mountaineer Field at, field at Milan Pusker Stadium. Excuse me. I got to yeah. make sure I get the whole thing in there. So, yeah, I mean, I think the Mountaineers are uh, a couple of years away from from really competing in this league. I mean, maybe they can play spoiler and pull off an upset this season, but uh, they're not quite there yet, in my opinion. Listen to this stat. 47.71. West Virginia ball carriers combined for just seven rushing touchdowns. That was the second fewest in FBS last year. They had seven rushing touchdowns and 334 attempts. That means the Mountaineers averaged 47.71 rushing attempts per touchdown run, which ranked 129th overall. It took them 47 rushing attempts last year on average to score a rushing touchdown a year ago. 
That's oh, not good. Gosh. I mean, their leading rusher was Letty Brown last year, who's back as a junior. Uh, he had 413 rushing yards, averaged 3.4 yards per carry. Their leading rusher averaged less than three and a half yards per carry. That is not a recipe for success at all. And I hadn't heard that number that you gave. I mean, I knew their whole offense was bad. I knew their running game was uh, was not good. And that makes life horrible for a quarterback, right? So maybe I should take some of the blame off of Austin Kendall there because you got to be really, really good to offset no running game uh, at the college level. But, yeah, there, there's no question that's going to have to improve. Three returning starters on the offensive line this year for West Virginia. So maybe they will be a little bit better up front. But, uh, yeah, that's a recipe for disaster, no question. Man, um, yeah, like Tech – we preview Tech on Monday. Tech and West Virginia are probably – I don't pretty comparable in terms of what most people think going into the season, but I don't know, man. Like I'm, I'm almost more optimistic about a team like tech this year, just because at least I know that they're going to be good at quarterback. Yeah. If Alan Bowman stays healthy. Of course I I'm looking for a reason, any reason at all to be optimistic about West Virginia. And I just, I can't find it this year. I, I think that this is probably a, three and seven, four and six football team. I agree with you. I think Neil Brown is a really good coach because the track record says that he's a really good coach, but their offense was just so bad last year. And how many more steps are they really going to take? I just, I'd like to be optimistic about WVU. I I just, I, I can't, I can't, I can't get around to thinking that they're going to be 500 this year. No, that's fair. And you could argue that 500 would be a pretty good year for them. I know expectations are higher in Morgantown and they should be. And I think once Neil Brown has this thing up and running the way it will be, uh, then, then they're going to be better than that. But yeah, I mean, they were barely picked ahead of Texas tech, right? West Virginia was picked eighth in this league. They had 20 more points than Texas tech did. And then there's a pretty big gap between them and Kansas state at number seven, who we're about to talk about. So We'll see. I, you know, the only obvious wins on the schedule for the Mountaineers this year, the Eastern Kentucky game, as you brought up, and then and probably Kansas, which is in Morgantown this year. But, I mean, outside of that, like every game kind of feels like a toss-up. You know, they play Texas Tech in Lubbock this year. That was a home game I'd feel a little better for West Virginia, but that's a toss-up. You know, they've got K-State in Morgantown this year. Maybe that's another game they can win in this league. Uh, they've got TCU in Morgantown, considering the Horn Frogs don't have Max Duggan. Maybe that's a game they can win in this league too. But you know, it sort of feels like in every other conference game, which I think I I left more than half of them unannounced right there. They're probably going to be heavy, heavy underdogs. It's going to be tough sledding for them to to pull off anything else. So, yeah, uh, it probably a tough year for the Mountaineers, but uh, they've got some decent players. They've got some talent on that roster and it's a, it's a building year for Neil Brown. I think that'll be the number one thing I'm watching is just what, what they look like uh, under that dude in year two. It's by far and away the most interesting job in the entire conference, just because of the geography of it. I'm looking at their recruiting class for 2020 and Dana Holgerson, when he first got to, or when West Virginia first joined the league, he really tried to take advantage of being in the same conference as the Texas schools. He, he tried to recruit hard in the state of Texas, and it didn't work out, and he had to kind of abandon that philosophy. West Virginia this past year didn't land one recruit from any Big 12 state. They went to Maryland, New Jersey, Georgia, West Virginia, Florida, Michigan, Missouri, Ohio, uh, Kentucky, UK, the United Kingdom, uh, Alabama, New Jersey. So they're all over the place. Like 
they don't have like a honey hole that they can go to. I mean, they got one guy from their own state, their own state of West Virginia, which traditionally doesn't have a whole lot of talent. You talk about having to look under rocks across the country. It feels like that's what West Virginia has to do in recruiting, man. Uh, they got a guy from the UK. How about that? From the ex-mother country. That is uh, <laughs> that's phenomenal stuff right there. It's got to be a special teamer, right? Like a kicker or a punter. It says uh, corner, Bristol, UK. How about I mean, that? I mean, they meant Connecticut. I, 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 I don't know, man. I don't think that's uh, interesting. All right. Yeah, you know, uh, maybe Neil Brown's ties. I mean, I guess his ties are more with the South and the Southeast. It sounds like that's where most of those states were that you just listed off. Um, yeah, I mean, they, they kind of have to improvise every year because uh, they're not going to get the big dogs from, from most of big 12 country, especially from the state of Texas. Right. I mean, you've got guys who go to Texas and A&M and Oklahoma and and obviously the Ohio state and Bama and Clemson and, and Florida and just other big name programs all across the country. And then, you know, a lot of the second tier guys will, will stay in states, uh, and go to, you know, you know, Baylor and TCU, not to call them second tier programs by any stretch, but not as big on the recruiting trail, but guys would rather go there. And then I think guys would rather go to Houston and SMU sometimes in the state of Texas over going to West Virginia. So yeah, they do have to get a little creative on the recruiting trail. I mean, it wasn't technically a transition year because Neil Brown was obviously there last year, but early on might be tough, especially after a four and eight season, right? Might be tough to, to bring in all the guys that you, uh, that you want to bring in, but that's interesting. I hadn't really studied too much on the Mountaineers recruiting class here in 2020. Uh, that is uh, that is weird that they got, Pretty much nobody from this conference's country, if you will. Uh, by the way, there is a Bristol, UK, so uh, they will have an Englishman playing there we go. at some point. So uh, congrats to West Virginia on that one. All right, let's move on to our next team. Eight and five a year ago. Skylar Thompson is back, but he's only one of two returning offensive starters for K-State this year. Seven returning starters on defense. And uh, I, I don't know, maybe I have a warped opinion on Kansas State, but Thought they were pretty good last year. Really did. Um, went to Starkville, Mississippi, and won. I mean, they beat OU, but they were kind of dominating that game for most of the first three quarters. They only end up winning by a touchdown. But then they had a mysterious loss at home against West Virginia. Yeah. Thought that they were better than Navy in the Liberty Bowl. They dropped that one. Um, like the steps that Skylar Thompson took last year, I think that they made one hell of a hire with getting Chris Kleiman. Uh, for sure. I think he's an unbelievable head coach. But how does Kansas State rebuild an entire offensive line? That's got to be the major question for them this year, man. Yeah, no doubt about that. And no disrespect to K-State. Well, I guess every time you lead with something like that, that means you're about to say something disrespectful, right? I was a little surprised that Chris Kleiman took that job. Yeah, I, I know he was at the FCS level, but I just figured with all the national championships he had won at North Dakota State, I figured he'd be able to get something better and bigger. So, hey, kudos to K-State, right? They were able to find a way to lure him in, and I, I'm with you. I think this guy is a hell of a hire. Really, really impressive year one, going 8-4 and four in the regular season. You mentioned their bowl loss to Navy. I mean, that was a last-second field goal. They lost to Texas on a last-second field goal as well. Uh, the West Virginia game was incredibly close. Like, I mean, this K-State team was a couple of plays away from winning 10 games. Yeah, I know. first year after going five and seven in Bill Snyder's last year in 2018. Now, you know, they did have some close wins too. So that's sometimes a dangerous conversation to have, right? That, that, that can go both ways. They were a couple of plays away from also going six and six last year instead of going eight and four in the regular season. But I was very impressed with the way they played. I think we were all curious to see, you know, what they would look like. 
I, I know things had gotten stale at the end of Bill Snyder's run, but the last time Bill Snyder left and Ron Prince took over, I mean, it was a shit show in Manhattan. You're playing Texas, but yes. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, it was an absolute disaster to the point where they had to call Bill Snyder out of retirement and he had to come save the program again. So I think everybody in the Little Apple was a little curious, like, okay, the last time we tried this, it didn't work out, but we knew at some point we were going to have to do this again. Kleiman was a great hire. He had a great year one. But, yeah, I mean, it's good that they had their quarterback back, right? Uh, a guy who started for most of the last two years in Skylar Thompson. I, I'm very impressed with the way he plays. I mean, he's a threat. You guys saw that last year at OU. He's capable with his arm. He's capable with his legs. Really, really talented player. But losing all five starters on the offensive line, I think it's something like 144 career combined starts that the Wildcats are losing up front. That's going to hurt some questions. At running back, too, they lose their leading rusher in James Gilbert. That's going to be a tough guy to replace. Uh, they've got some pieces coming back on defense. Wyatt Hubert is really, really good. Good kid, too. Got the chance to speak with him at Big 12 Media Days last year. Uh, A.J. Parker, the corner, really, really talented player, too, coming back for his final year in Manhattan. Like Those guys were bought in. I mean, yeah. uh, speaking with them last year at Big 12 Media Days, going into year one for Chris Kleiman, I was like almost surprised. Uh, just how like how much they were praising their coach. And I know everybody says that stuff, but it felt like they believed it. It felt like they were legitimate and they loved the direction that K-State had gone by bringing in Chris Kleiman. So, you know, we, we've talked about it, Tyler. I think uh, the purple teams are kind of the wild cards in this conference. I don't know if I feel that way as much about TCU without Max Duggan anymore. Like, I think that's just, that might be too much for them to overcome. But K-State surprised some people last year. Can they do that again this year? The offensive line is the biggest question, like you said, but they've got some pieces that I like. I like Chris Kleiman a lot. Like, can they? I don't think they're going to crash the Big 12 championship party this year, but can they maybe pull off an upset or two that prevents a Texas and Oklahoma or an Oklahoma State from getting to Arlington at the end of the year? That's uh, that's my biggest storyline regarding the Wildcats. Yeah, I, I definitely think that they can. They've kind of been a thorn in Oklahoma State's side for about the past, I don't know, it seems like a while now. They haven't won every single game, but even with really good Oklahoma State teams and kind of seemingly some average K-State teams, their style of play has uh, given OSU fits. It, it always seems like, though, that Kansas State has, okay, maybe they have an okay quarterback and an okay running back, but they only have like one legit wide receiver that you feel like they can throw to, Right. Um, I, I, I guess Tyler Lockett was paired up with a guy like Curry Sexton. So that's not a good example there, but in, in the past, they just had like, all right, if they're not going to this guy, then they're really not going to anybody offensively. I guess Dalton shown would have been that guy last year for yeah. sure, and, and he's gone. So it's kind of like the same question all over again for Kansas state is who's going to be their explosive big play guy because Skylar Thompson. Yeah. He, he did make big strides last year, but with an entirely rebuilt offensive line, with a running back named Harry Trotter, which he just sounds like a dork. It sounds like he plays with glasses. Harry Trotter. Yeah, he's got a little scar on his forehead. Dude. <laughs> I just I, I don't know who the explosive big play guys are going to be for Kansas State to make a serious run yeah. at a Big 12 championship. I'm sure. with you. I'm with you. I mean, that's a huge problem, right? As good as Skylar Thompson is, and he's explosive himself, right? He's a playmaker himself, but – you got to have some pieces around you. They lose their leading rusher. Uh, they lose their leading receiver in Dalton Schoen. You know, Malik Knowles is the guy to watch, second leading receiver from a year ago as a freshman. Now he's a sophomore, obviously. That's how this works. Uh, I'm sure everybody out there watching really needed that explanation there. 
But uh, maybe he could be that guy, that number one weapon, a dude who could step up and give the Purple Cats a threat on the outside. But yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be tough for this uh, for this offense to replicate the success that they had a season ago, which you know, they weren't that great. I think they averaged 30 points per game, which you know for a lot of teams, for a lot of leagues, that's good. But in the Big 12, that's uh, that's not going to win you the league more often than not. So uh, the defense will be solid. They'll be good enough. But can that offense, without a lot of skill position talent, without a lot up front, uh, can they be good enough to let K-State compete? That's the biggest question for them but man i mean i like i i, I feel like k-state made the right hire and once again this might not be the year for them but i think a couple years down the road once climbing has his guys in there i think they could be a threat and and get relatively close to some of the years they had with uh with bill snyder running the show yeah i think they made the right hire too for sure um i mean look what he did in year one that tells you that it yeah. I, I guess my question is k-state like a lot of jobs in this conference i think there's only two te- destination jobs in this league it's Oklahoma and Texas. And it's crazy how TCU has found a guy in Gary Patterson that is interested in just staying in Fort Worth. Oklahoma State has found a guy in Mike Gundy that's interested in staying in Stillwater. And Kansas State for so many years had a guy like Bill Snyder that was, man, he was interested in staying in Manhattan. And I don't remember Bill Snyder's name, even in their heyday, his name being mentioned for a whole lot of top jobs. I, I could be totally wrong about that. But my question is, is Chris Kleiman okay with being in Manhattan, Kansas, or does he see this as a stepping stone job to a better job with better resources? Because you can win at Kansas State, it's been proven, but you got to work your ass off, man, because you're out in the middle of nowhere, Kansas, trying to win football games against good programs like Oklahoma and Texas. That's a great question. Um, I don't know how much of an upgrade Manhattan, Kansas is over Fargo, North Dakota. Maybe it's a downgrade or maybe it's a major upgrade. Maybe it's paradise to Chris Kleiman and he never wants to leave because he's never known anything better and he thinks that's the best he can get. Who knows? That's a good point. I mean, there has been a lot of loyalty uh, amongst coaches in this league. I mean, look at Art Bryles. I mean, obviously the way his tenure ended at Baylor was uh, very unfortunate, but I mean, that dude wasn't going anywhere. All right, that guy was getting a lot of interest. I mean, there were rumors to Texas at one point, like a lot of schools wanted to hire Art Bryles and by every indication – uh, if they didn't have what happened, what they had happen in Waco, then that dude would still be the coach at Baylor. So you're right. There is a, some sort of odd loyalty in this league. I love it. I mean, I think that's one of the things that makes this conference pretty special is that you usually don't see coaches jump ship too often uh, if they are successful. So, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, something to watch for sure. I mean, Matt Campbell's another example, right? Yeah, that's a good point. At Iowa State. Like, I know he hasn't been there for that long, but he's gotten some interest from, from other schools across Power Five, some schools that might have more history, more prestige than the Cyclones do, and he's turned down everything. He really has. So another dude to watch for moving forward. I mean, there's part of me, he's a Midwest guy, so there's a part of me that thinks, okay, if Michigan opens up, if Notre Dame opens up, maybe a job like that he would take. But, I mean, I think his name was linked to Michigan State for a little bit, and I think that's a, an upgrade over sure. Iowa State in terms of uh, resources and some other things. And he turned that thing down right away. So, yeah, that's a great point, Tyler. I hadn't really stopped and thought about it too much. But uh, coaching loyalty in this league has, has been pretty strong. Speaking of North Dakota State, maybe I have that memory of that game burned into me from 2014, 2015, whenever it was, them dropping the first game of the season. Maybe I have the Marshall game burned into me. I know that's a little bit of a stretch when they lost that game at home back in 2003. But 
I don't know, man. I, I think that they're going to get off to a slow start offensively. I'm just not totally convinced that they're just going to roll over Arkansas State in week one. Like, I, I think that there's a legitimate chance with the good football program that Arkansas State is that I think it's going to be a close game. But I think Arkansas State could go up to Manhattan and win that football game. Wow. So is that uh, – I mean, what, the toughest non-conference game in this league is the battle for the Iron Skillet, right, TCU and SMU. Yeah. Are you calling that as number two? Like, I was thinking it was yeah. Kansas and Coastal Carolina. Not because Coastal Carolina is that good, but because Kansas is that bad. And that could be an upset. And Coastal beat Kansas last year. So, like, the Jayhawk fans are on high alert for that one. But uh, you, you potentially put an upset alert on K-State against Arc State? Yeah, a big, big upset alert. No, okay. I mean, I, mean I, I think that this is going to be played within – I think this game's going to be played within a touchdown. How about that? Okay. Yeah, that would be uh, – that would be interesting right there. And obviously that would change expectations a ton for, for K-State, who, you know, I haven't talked to a whole lot of Manhattan people. I need to check in with my uh, with my Purple Cats. I should have done that before the start of this episode, of course. But uh, I am curious what their expectations are. Like, are they drinking the Purple Kool-Aid up there? Do they think this team can get to Arlington and crash the Big 12 championship party at the end of the year? Or are they maybe closer to your end of the spectrum where they're like, uh, okay, don't sleep on Arkansas State, right? Yeah. Because I, I think uh, I think there are kind of people, maybe not on, on those extremes, but kind of people with mixed opinions about this football team all over this league. Yeah, for sure. All right, um, that'll do it for us today. I, I was just looking at like past non-conference games to see where K-State has struggled out of the gate. In 2018, they beat South Dakota 27-20. to Yeah, remember that one. Golly, I mean, that's yeah. that, they lost to Vanderbilt at Vanderbilt in 2017. That might as well be a, a non-Power 5 game with how crappy the Commodores are. And then in uh, 2016, they got beat at Stanford. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that. so they've uh, they've kind of struggled in non-conference games in recent years. I guess last year was kind of seemingly the first time in a while that they won all three non-conference games. So, uh, hopefully for K-State's sake, they can come out of the gate strong and uh, beat an Arkansas State team, which because that's basically Arkansas State season right there. Going up to Manhattan to play Kansas State. So, you got to watch out for that one. All right, for a look at the game of football from a coaching, scouting, administrative perspective, go check out LandryFootball.com. Uh, high school, college, NFL, recruiting, NFL draft, free agency, guy, you name it, man. Pre-game to post-game film analysis to all the inside scoop on players, teams, coaches, and schemes. LandryFootball.com is your source for uh, all things football. There are 24 hours in a day, and I am convinced that for 20 hours of those, Chris Landry just sits in there and watches film. Like, dude, I, I'm convinced of that. I don't even think the guy sleeps. I don't think he slept in eight, eight years. Yeah. I think he, all he's break down film. He watches film for 20 hours and then he writes for the other four hours. Is that, uh, is yeah. that what he does? That's how it works. Well, no, he, side is he has a 15-minute dinner break. And then it's back to work for the re- throughout the rest of the yeah, day. Yeah, but he, he Uber Eats is everything. Like, he doesn't take the time to cook. He doesn't take the time to go even pick up food. It's got to be delivered. And and it's not – he doesn't get up to go get the food. Like, he says, oh, come in. He leaves his front door open. He tells the Uber Eats delivery driver, hey, come in. They drop the food off, and then they leave so he doesn't stop watching film. It's uh, yeah. pretty crazy, man. But it's a great site. You mentioned it. Uh, they've got everything. Any any football questions you have, LandryFootball.com. And the delivery guy's like, no tip. And he's like, oh, I'm breaking down Skylar Thompson. Like, get out of my face, please. <laughs> All right, that'll do it for us this week. We'll talk to you on Monday, 10 a.m. on Twitch. Into the fence of the Big 12. He's Brad Kellner. I'm Tyler McComas. We'll talk to you on Monday.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.